The Start On Demand. On demand. Today was the day we were set to hear Kevin Sheveldayoff and Mark Chipman after the NHL's decision not to discipline Kevin Sheveldayoff after his involvement in the Chicago Blackhawks sexual abuse scandal. But as we learned during the course of our show, that news conference has been delayed as Mark Chipman is being treated for vertigo. Heather Stephenson is the first female premier of Manitoba. Will Shelley Glover demand a recount? We spoke with an award-winning author, a Giller Prize-winning author, on his new book, Disorientation, Being Black in the World. And we had some fun talking about your most embarrassing date blunder. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's off this week. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Monday, November 1st podcast for The Start. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is off this week. Thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. And um, it's November, and it feels weird. And I wore a parka to work today. And you I'm not didn't. Ha- I did. I'm not happy about it. You weren't happy about the snow oh. falling yesterday afternoon either. But uh, That was weird because I was sitting on my couch. It was perfectly calm outside. Yes. It was cool. And then... Out of nowhere, the wind just starts howling, and I look to my left to look outside, and there is snow shooting straight across, coming out of the northwest, like almost perfectly sideways, um, and it was in and out in under 10 minutes. What time of the day was that, Brett? It was like around 12.30, I think. Okay, so I had been at curling with the boys uh, in East St. Paul earlier uh, between 10 and about noon, and so we had a little bit of that action in that part of the city. And, you know, when I saw your post on Twitter, I reposted it, uh, essentially saying, you know, Halloween for a long time. And I, you know, I wouldn't dare to try and count how often Halloween marked our first sort of interaction with snow in my lifetime. And a lot of people said, Mackling, it is sort of a rite of passage in Manitoba (laughs) that our first snowfall, our first snow event, our first little... Action with snow happens on Halloween. So I, I don't know. That's the way I remember it. Yeah, I mean, and look, I, and people, inevitably what happens when this kind of thing happens is people put videos or picture on social media and they complain about it like I did where it was all caps. I do not like this. And then you get the people who say, oh, every year it's the same thing. We we're all surprised. Look, I wasn't surprised. I know it's coming. You're just not ready for it. Uh, yeah, it doesn't mean I have to like it. Damn right. I'm with you on that front. <laughs> Especially, you know, I was hoping that the weather would be a bit nicer for the kids to get out trick-or-treating. But based on what you saw last night, uh, it sounds like, in, depending on where you were, the kids were out in force. Oh, were they ever out in force? Now, I've been taking my kids out. I was usually the one designated to take the boys out to collect the candy. And, and I freely admit, I volunteered for that position because, you know... That meant I also got to be candy inspector. So I'm missing dipping into the uh, <laughs> treasure trove to the pillowcase or the or the uh, little uh, the little plastic jack o' lantern to uh, grab myself some candy this morning. So I'm missing that. I'm having a little bit of uh, Halloween withdrawal. We had nothing left. 
Uh, and we had full-size bars at our house last Whoa. night. We, we, left, we left it to the last minute. And so the reactions from the little kids was hilarious. Oh, Dad, it's a full-size Twix. Dad, it's a big one. I got a big bag of M&Ms. It was really cute to see the kids realize that the, the candy we were handing out was a little bit bigger. It was not by design. Full disclosure, it was Costco had nothing left yeah. over the weekend. They were completely sold out. So anyway, it was, Jackie said, you know what? At the end of the day, it was well worth the extra money to see the reaction and to hear the reaction from the little kids. Uh, Jackie figures we had about 75 kids last night. Oh, wow, Second 75. most, about the second most we've had in the 12 years we've been at the house. Oh, that's fantastic. So feel free to weigh in at 204-780-6868 on how was it for you if you give out candy. Like if you normally would give out candy and you did so last night. Did you have more kids than usual, fewer kids, or maybe it was about the same? Um, and so the fact that you went to get chocolates over the weekend, was that an act of procrastination or was that an act of self-control, i.e., if we buy the candy a little too early, we're just going to eat it, and then we're going to have to go buy some more. I'd like to say that it was the the last thing you say, said, that there was really some thought process. I think it's just... Halloween sort of snuck up on us because we didn't have to send the kids to school in costume. You know, we didn't have to get treats for the classroom. So now that our kids are in that non-participation age and we didn't go to any parties, it just sort of snuck up on us. And and Saturday is like, oh, crap, it's Halloween tomorrow. <laughs> so, yeah, well, I think a lot of us might have been in that same boat. Because I had a buddy of mine who uh, I dubbed he was dealing with a bout of Pump-crastination, because he texts me Saturday at like 6 p.m. Oh, no, looking for a pumpkin? Yeah, and he says he says to me, hey, do you, does your courtyard and your apartment complex still have all those pumpkins? No. And I said, yeah, why, you looking to steal one? <laughs> and he said, yeah. <laughs> no, he didn't end up stealing one, but he says, I've been to five stores. I can't find one. I quit. But he ended up uh, putting something in a, his neighborhood community group, and one of his neighbors had a spare, so he got was able to get a pumpkin late Saturday. But uh, that's that's how desperate he was to get his hands on a pumpkin that he was considering being a thief. Well, you know. Um Pumpkins were in short supply and candy was in short supply, but I, I do have to, you know, our late uh, great uh, colleague in the media, Randy Turner, one of the great Halloween tweets of all time was retweeted yesterday many, many times. This one from 2018. So I'm ready for Halloween. I've got 300 mini bars poured into the biggest bowl in my house. All I have to do now is lock the doors and turn off all the lights in my house. <laughs> And enjoy all that candy for himself. <laughs> so, yeah, let us know how it went for you for Halloween last night, 204-780-6868. I should point out, I didn't put on a parka because it's freezing. I just, you know, anticipating the walk home. My fall jacket is kind of not that. It's like five degrees is kind of the cutoff for me. So it was, It's a, admittedly, it's a little too warm, I think, for a parka, but... You don't we'll like to be cold. That's okay. We'll see how it goes in the walk home. Maybe I can uh, readjust tomorrow. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is on vacation. Hockey fans and non-hockey fans alike are anticipating hearing from Winnipeg Jets' Kevin Cheveldayoff, GM, at some point this afternoon. Friday morning, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman said that Cheveldayoff was, quote, not responsible for the improper decisions made by the Chicago Blackhawks 
related to the Brad Aldrich matter in 2010. Here's uh, what Bettman had to say. While on some level it would be easiest to paint everyone with any association to this terrible matter with the same broad brush, I believe that fundamental fairness requires a more in-depth analysis of the role of each person. Kevin Sheveldayoff was not a member of the Blackhawks senior leadership team in 2010, and I cannot, therefore, assign to him responsibility for the club's actions or inactions. He provided a full account of his degree of involvement in the matter, which was limited exclusively to his attendance at a single meeting, and I found him to be extremely forthcoming and credible in our discussion. So that from Commissioner of the National Hockey League, Gary Bettman. And of course, Brett, reactions to this decision were swift and emphatic. For the most part, people were surprised, if not upset, by the fact Sheveldayoff was the only member of the Chicago executive group, which was at that May 23rd meeting Bettman refers to, that was May 23rd, 2010, not to resign their positions over the way the Blackhawks handled sexual assault allegations made by then-player Kyle Beach. Now, Sheveldayoff will speak to the public via the media today on Saturday. Hockey Night in Canada dedicated their pregame coverage to the situation, and there were some tremendous contributions to the discussion. Sheldon Kennedy, who has become synonymous with his efforts to make sports safer for children with the Respect Group, former Manitoban and NHL player, had this to say about the opportunity this presents for Sheveldayoff and the Jets. I think one of the things, one of the messages that was sent by by letting Kevin Sheveldayoff off was um, that just because you're maybe an assistant GM or a junior in a junior leadership role, you don't have a responsibility. You get let off the hook from putting up your hand. But in fairness to Kevin Sheveldayoff, the culture that we need to create and the culture that has to be built within these organizations is that junior leadership person or the assistant GM should feel comfortable enough to put up his hand. And I think if we look at, you know, I know Mark Chipman and I know Kevin Sheveldayoff, and I think, you know, they have an opportunity to be the best organization out there to make sure that they've got the best tools in place. They've got the best culture change um, mechanisms in place for their players and to lead in that community. And I think that if they've got an opportunity to right that wrong. And I think that, uh, um, you know, if they do that, awesome. And if they don't, well, shame on them. Kennedy reminded viewers Saturday night how far Canada has come in regards to taking steps for our kids to be safer in the world of sport and society in general. We have come so far. You know, like if you look at sport in Canada, it's mandatory for 70 sports to to train every single coach on these specific issues across this country. Mandatory, right? And that's huge. So, you know, to to when we look at the the Blackhawks case and, you know, they say, "Oh, it was in 2020, 2010." I don't buy that. I don't buy that. And I think what happened in this case and, and is, is the confidence of society. And, you know, their, their society has shifted to the point where, um, you know, they're not going to let these issues uh, fade away into, into the night. Uh, there's an accountability. And I think that is the, what I've seen the biggest shift and change uh, in regards to these issues is that uh, society expects us to be better. And I think that this, this incident, uh, like no other, is uh, positioned the NHL to be leaders in this space. They can lead uh, to be 
the best sport organization to to be able to uh, encourage all of those other sport organizations, young people and old people that look up to them to be better. Jim Toth joins us at 737 this morning. The Jim Toth Show, by the way, launches today at 1 o'clock. Jets at noon, full hour with him and Cam Poitras. Now we're going to ask Jim what Manitobans need to hear from Shovel Day Off today. At 9.05, Scott Billick of the Winnipeg Sun and contributor to our hockey coverage on 680 CJOB will join us to discuss how this situation has weighed on so many for the past week and the release of that report into the conduct of the Blackhawks. Mackling McGarry, not McNabb. McNabb is off this week. Before we talk more about the PC leadership uh, situation, Heather Stevenson to be declared Manitoba's next premier. Um, we're asking you a couple of things, including how was Halloween last night? How many kids did you get? Julie says what, Greg? Good morning, Eminem. Last night, we too were last minute decision of giving out candy. Race to the store at 4 p.m. Supermarkets markets sweep the aisles for the seasonal section. Raced home, put up the decorations, had dinner, and was ready for 5.45. Every second year, I sit outside in my husband's tough duck snowmobile suit, which is 18 sizes too big for me, and place a straw hat over my head. I don't look real. Then, as kids approach, I let out a loud scream and lunge at them. The first kid, no older than seven, was carrying a pumpkin for his candy. You know those plastic uh, pumpkin buckets? He threw it and ran to his parents who were rolling on the ground laughing, saying to me, that's golden, I wish I was videoing that. (laughs) P.S. I gave that kid a little extra candy. Thanks for that, Julie. Right on. And as well, another thing that we're asking this morning is, did your phone flip times today like i was in my i got in the cab i think at 402 at least i thought it was 402 and my phone switched to 302 so i thought maybe it was just a glitch in my phone but we're getting a lot of people like eve saying uh my phone just went back an hour by itself time change isn't until next week isn't it yeah it's this upcoming weekend so uh it looks like it might be a bell network situation so feel free to if your phone changed let us know which network you're on because you know what's going to happen gmac what some people might be late for work today because of this i guess they might be like if this happened if the the time if it if the time changed to 2 a.m instead of 4 a.m i wouldn't have even been awake my, my alarm wouldn't have gone off oh good point very like, good point like my clock radio would have gone off but then i would have grabbed my phone and then thought oh it's only like one thirty or whatever. Yeah, you would you would have assumed that you had somehow set the alarm wrong because yeah, you trust the network, right? Yeah, you trust the clock on the Weather Channel. You trust the the, the clock at CJOB for us when we say it's six twenty five. It's really six twenty five and yeah. not five twenty five or seven twenty five. That's a, that's a good point. I was thinking about that late or early. Yeah, late. Yeah. So people are going to be late for work this morning, maybe. So just feel free to weigh in at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Heather Stephenson has been chosen as the next leader of Manitoba's Progressive Conservative Party and will become the province's twenty fourth premier. We counted. 16,456 ballots today. 82 of those ballots were spoiled ballots. 17 of those ballots we consider disputed. For the Glover campaign, there was 8,042 ballots counted for the Glover campaign. It is indeed my pleasure to tell you 
that there were 8,405 ballots for the Heather Stephenson campaign. The next Premier of Manitoba is Heather Stephenson. So that result comes following a leadership vote that pitted Stephenson against former St. Boniface MP Shelley Glover. The result is, of course, a political first for our province. This is Premier-designate Heather Stephenson. I am truly honoured and humbled to stand here with all of you making history in Manitoba. Today, our PC party chose the first woman premier in Manitoba, and you all played an incredible role in that. Thank you. A strong PC party is vital for a strong Manitoba, and together I know we will come out of this race more united than ever with a focus on earning a third consecutive majority government in 2023. Now, during a brief victory speech, Stephenson thanked former Premier Brian Pallister for leading the party to back-to-back majority governments. At the same time, Stephenson thanked those who had become part of the process and made a bold proclamation. From our First Nations, Métis, labour, business, first responders, and many different cultural and ethnic backgrounds, many of these people here today didn't necessarily feel comfortable being a part of our party in the past. Well, hello, Manitoba. Welcome to the new PC party of Manitoba. So you heard the numbers a few moments ago, 8,405 votes or 51.1% of the counted votes cast were for Stephenson, 8,042, and if you need me to do the math, happy to do it, 49.9% for challenger Shelley Glover. It's a margin so close, Glover won't officially concede. I really can't concede, right, until I do the homework, Um, and it is typical that When it is a close race, there are certain rules and regulations that apply about uh, recounts and that kind of thing. And I I, I honestly don't even know what the rules are. So, um, you know, I'd love to be able to say, oh, yes, I concede right now, uh, but I don't have the information that allows me to do that. And I want to do my homework on that. When asked what position she'd like to hold in Stephenson's government if the opportunity arose, her answer was quite simple. Premier. (laughs) Now, the final week of the two-month-long campaign was marred by issues with ballots. An undisclosed number of ballots did not make it to some of the 25,000 PC members before Friday's deadline, according to the party. So, congratulations, even an embrace between the two following the announcement of the results. However, no concession from Shelley Glover and questions over the process remain. Do you accept the results? Well, the results are the results at this point. Tonight, again, we are going to celebrate and we are going to uh, maybe have a few wobbly pops and uh, some food. uh, And tomorrow is another day. But it sounds like you're leaving the door open to contesting the results. As I said, tonight, I'm not even talking about that. So that was Saturday, yesterday was Sunday, and today is a new day. And hopefully more clarity about where this process stands, Brett, and hopefully that will come to light. We have reached out to Premier-elect Heather Stephenson and Shelley Glover to join us this morning. So far, we have not received a commitment from either of them to do so. Meanwhile, the PC Party of Manitoba emailed us this statement last night to our request to learn more about the process. Quote, the party announced the results of the election Saturday and has not Nothing more to add at this time. After 7.05, Dr. Kelly Saunders of the University of Manitoba will join us to give us her take on this race. Is it over? And what the results mean for the PC party and all of Manitoba.
Feel free to continue to weigh in at 204-780-6868. Did your phone drop back an hour? It looks like as far as cell phones go, it's a bell situation. Anybody? Because right. I'm on bell, and I was asking around, tell us, Rogers. Uh, but Terry saying that uh, all, his, all my digital clocks are wrong by an hour. Any idea mm. what happened? So we're asking what kind of clocks. So feel free to let us know, and we'll see if we can figure out what exactly happened uh, because the, the time change doesn't happen for until this upcoming weekend. We have bomber tickets to give away for Saturday, November 6th versus Montreal Alouettes. We're going to give them away at 9.15 based on your texts. What's the most embarrassing thing or an embarrassing thing that's happened to you while on a date? Because I have recently decided to dip my toe back into the dating pool and on Saturday I was at a woman's place and we were eating dinner. We ordered some takeout. We're sitting at her table and I went to reach for my drink and like it was a full drink and it has a lid on it. Like it's a corksicle, right? It's one of, it's like that Yeti style. Um, (laughs) So even with the lid, I managed to knock this thing over so aggressively. It spilled everywhere, all over the table, all over me. Like my jeans were soaking wet. It felt like, you know, when you went outside to play at school during the winter and didn't put your ski pants sure. on, and you come back in, you got sopping wet jeans for the rest of the day. That's what it felt like. Well, that sounded uh, very uncomfortable. Well, it was embarrassing. How, how did you remedy the situation? Well, or there we ask. We cleaned up and carried on, but uh, it was embarrassing. I Stay felt calm stupid. and carry on, McGarry. Clumsy, stupid, idiot. Anyway, text us a story for a chance to win. Let's go around the horn here. Jeff Braun. I, I was going to say, that just sounds like a clever plan for you to uh, start shedding clothes there, Brett. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish it was that clever. Yeah, um, the worst one for me, well, there have been many, and uh, honestly, I think I've literally just suppressed most of the worst ones, <laughs> so it's not to come up. But one that I do recall was, uh, it was, and this was years ago, this was in the late 90s, I believe, and I was on a date with a girl, and at the end of the date... I leaned in to go for a kiss. I tripped over a bicycle that was right there, fell f- right down onto the ground, face first, almost smashed my face into the pedal of the bike, which would have been much worse. But uh, that was, was the most horrible rush of embarrassment running through my veins I've ever felt in my entire life, I think. It was the least smooth thing I could have possibly done at the you know moment when you're trying to be as smooth as you possibly can. Oh, was there a follow-up date? There was not. No, she... Uh, she decided to. That was enough JB for her life. Forte, what about you? I went on a date last weekend and I picked up the girl and driving within two minutes of me picking her up, somebody cuts me off and of course I yell out, Mother, wah wah. <laughs> and like I look at her and I was like, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. She's like, Hey. You know, if you're not swearing while you're driving, then you're not driving properly in Winnipeg. <laughs> <laughs> so you scored points with that one, Jeff. Apparently. That a boy. <laughs> United in your road rage. That's pretty <laughs> perfect. Poitras, what about you? Well, yeah, I hit my wife with a car on our first date. It was kind oh, of just yes. a little nudge. And I've been denying this for three years, but I guess I, I have to finally fess up to it because it sounds so horrible. I mean, it obviously worked out. We ended up getting married uh, earlier this summer. Uh, it was in the parking lot of Taverna Rotos in Charleswood. We were just we were just do we we went there for um, we went there for lunch and it was like I don't know why like you you like somebody and you're afraid to eat around them for the first time because now we just pig out together but uh, <laughs> like we had these beautiful salads and you're just like yeah oh, I'm not really that hungry and you eat like five bites and we were just driving around Charleswood and 
anyways, and we ended up parking, and uh, we're in the we're in the the you know I, I was just driving around with her, and she she kind of looks at me. And she's the, you know, this isn't going to work out for you. Like this, this, this dating thing. I'm not very, like, I'm not somebody that you want to go out on a date with. So this was our whole conversation. And then she got out of the car and I said, well, I still like you. And then uh, she walks in front of my car and I drove <laughs> up into her. Uh, I just nudged her. It wasn't like I hit her hard. Uh, but I tried to deny, deny it for three years, but I guess I have to finally fess up. Mm-hmm. Mackling. Well, uh, I guess my worst experience on a date was sort of uh, near the, End of the date, uh, a culmination of uh, festivities, if you'd like. And there were several people at a house and everybody had left and we'd had a very good time. And uh, I thought it'd be really cool and, you know, take that classic swig of beer only to realize that uh, people have been using said beer bottle as an ashtray oh. for the night. Uh-huh, yeah. So normally uh, ask for the toothbrush in the morning. I had to ask for the toothbrush uh, at about 1 o'clock in the morning. It was embarrassing, but but things turned out uh, just fine. Oh. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. So tell us the story at 204-780-6868. Something embarrassing that's happened to you on a date for a chance to win bomber tickets for Saturday versus Montreal. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is away this week. We are giving away bomber tickets for Saturday's game against Montreal based on the question, what's something embarrassing that happened to you on a date for your chance to win those tickets? We'll pick a winner just after 9.15, and and I think I'm going to leave some names out of this one. This, This listener says, regarding dating, I've been dating online for some time at one point, connected with a fellow. So after chatting sometime, he seemed interested, so we agreed to go out for dinner to meet at the keg. I met him, and although he was very nice, I realized that there would not be a connection. So I thanked him, and that was the end of the date. About a week later, I was online again, and this person began to chat with me once more. So not wanting to be rude, I was chatting back and forth, just trying to be pleasant. But at the same time, I was chatting with another fellow online who has never met me, and this fellow asked to take me out to dinner to the keg. So I agreed. I went to the keg and said I was meeting someone for dinner, and this waiter said, there isn't anyone here yet, but feel free to go look around. So I was hoping I would recognize him based on his picture. As I'm strolling around the keg, looking at all these faces of men, I see, of all people, the last guy I went out with a date with. Oh, no. Ah, good times. So keep those (laughs) stories coming at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win. Also, Greg, you were asking the question, uh, because I I failed to notice it this morning on the way into work, was Broadway open? And we have a few people who weighed in. Yes, uh, one of our listeners saying Broadway is wide open, and the bat signal looks pretty cool on the north side of the ledge. So there you go. There's the answer to that question. I knew our listeners would have it for us. Thank you very much. As always, that and other tips at 780-6868. Yeah, Terry was saying Broadway is open now since last week. And I said, well, when? Because when I walked by Friday afternoon, it was still closed. So they, oh. must, have, they must have opened. She said by Friday evening it had been open. Okay. So I guess they finally opened her back up Friday afternoon. So that's good. That's exciting. Months since May. Yeah. Nice to have that open again. No question about it. That's a obviously a critical artery in downtown Winnipeg. So today is the premiere, the first edition, the initial, the maiden voyage of the Jim Toth Show right here on 680 CJOB from 1 until 3. And 
Cam Poitras and Jim Toth will also launch the one-hour version of Jets at Noon today. The one, the only Jim Toth joins us now. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, gentlemen. How are we? We're doing very well. Uh, So congratulations on the new show. I know we had you on last week to talk about it, uh, but you're in it now, and I made a a promise. It's not a solemn oath, but it is a promise to keep the 735 or 737 uh, guest appearances on the start to a minimum. But uh, today, we really needed to get your, your take on this because... The Winnipeg Jets uh, lost to a team with no less than five AHL regulars Saturday night. But that's not what we want to talk about. I know you'll have lots to say about that. Something bigger than the results on the ice, of course. All uh, kidding aside, Winnipeg Jets general manager Kevin Sheveldayoff will speak to the public via the media for the first time on the Kyle Beach situation. His role, his meeting with Commissioner Gary Bettman, that will take place at some point today. Ultimately, the fact that he is the only Blackhawks executive who is today not out of the NHL and why will be one of the questions we hope to be getting answered today. What are you hoping to hear? Well, I, I just need to hear some answers, guys. And I, and I think that the way Kevin Sheveldayoff and the Jets pushed that meeting up with Gary Bettman to not wait till today in New York, um, I think they want this dealt with. And I think Kevin wants this dealt with. You know, Paul Maurice, when he spoke last week about it, mentioned the fact that and look, this isn't to, um, you know, say that Kyle Beach isn't and his family isn't at the forefront of this whatsoever, but um, other people's families are too. And I think this is something that Kevin wants to deal with. So, but for what I need to hear, I think is what every Jets fan and, and, and Jets ticket holder and just citizen wants to hear is, you know, what was your involvement? What happened? What did you know? And I don't know if we'll get clarification on that because I think there's more litigation coming with this case. And I, and I think that in his statement that he put out Friday, there wasn't much there, to be honest with you. And, and I think fans want more than that. And I think fans deserve more than that, to be honest with you. But I, I wonder what the, the ramifications and the legalities around what he can say and what he can't. But he just needs to answer some questions. And to me, it's now a situation of culpability. And how culpable of you for being in a room 11 years ago when you heard about a situation and then clearly were told that, you know, we'll deal with this and your knowledge of that situation going forward. And, and I think he needs to provide some timelines and, and some guidelines to, you know, what he knew and, and be real and, and be understanding that this is how I feel about it. And this is how I felt back then at the time. So. I just think there needs to be some clarification. I know a lot of fans want an apology, and and I'm not sure they're going to get that today just because an apology uh, often admits that there was something done wrong by you individually. Um, And a lot of people think there was. And and that's what I think needs to be clarified. What are you sort of in and around this situation culpable of? And, And I think that's what some fans want some clarity on. And I hope they get it. And I think the organization needs that clarification as well. And I, I'm just not too sure that they don't want to clarify it themselves, but what they can do and what they can't. But, you know, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say, this is what we need to hear. We need to hear from you and we need to hear why you're still around and why you're not stepping down. So I think some clarification, I think some timelines need to be cleared up a little bit. Um, and then I think Kevin needs to speak from the heart on how he feels about this. And that's the one thing in the upper management that has been let go a lot of people are pointing fingers at other people, and, and I get that that's what happens in these situations. People don't understand fully when these ramifications come down. Their role, they understand the role they played in it, but they don't maybe understand their responsibilities in it and, and to what level. But I, I just need personally, and I think the fans do too, some clarification on the situation itself and, and then some reasoning why 
you know, he, he isn't stepping down or, or he's, he hasn't been disciplined. And I want to emphasize this too, guys, like this is a horrific situation and, and there are no winners in this and there are no innocent people in this whatsoever. Um, but I do believe that it's around culpability. And I think that, you know, what a guy in a meeting is responsible for once it leaves is sort of more on the human side than it is job-wise. And I think that was made clear with what took place on Friday from the National Hockey League. Um, so, again, to repeat, I just there needs to be some clarification, some timelines. And, and Kevin Sheveldayoff, I think, needs to speak on how, what this situation uh, means to him and how it's affected him and, and and why he's going forward. So hockey fans and non-hockey fans have a view on how this failure of Kyle Beach should be handled, Jim. Uh, there are plenty of Jets fans unhappy with Gary Bevin's decision. So how do the Jets navigate that reality? Well, I, I don't think they're going to navigate it smoothly. I, I don't think there aren't going to be fans that will not go to a game or buy a ticket this year. Those fans will happen and will exist. And there's some people that maybe aren't diehard fans that won't ever go to a game again. I honestly believe that. Um, but how they navigate it, to my mind, is is a little bit of what Paul Maurice spoke. And I don't know this whatsoever, but like he said, these are professional investigators that went intently into this and, and, and do this for a living. And when they looked at it, what stood out for me from what Paul Maurice had to say last week was, if you want justice and there isn't enough culpability there, it would be much easier to let all seven of those men go, including Kevin Cheveldayoff. I think True North would find it a lot easier business-wise and perception-wise to just move on from Kevin Cheveldayoff. I honestly believe that. The fact that they aren't speaks to me at a little bit of, of maybe he isn't as culpable as people think he is just by sitting in a room. And I don't know that. I'm just saying that, you know, when Paul Maurice mentioned that, that stood out to me that I think we all want some justice for Kyle Beach here. I really, I think that's the given. Um, but, you know, if Kevin Cheveldayoff isn't as culpable as we all assume he is because he, you know, ignored something or swept something under the rug, I don't think that part of it is there or else he would have been disciplined or else he would be gone. Well, I mean, let's... So, ad- oh, sorry, go ahead, Jim, finish your thought. So I'm just... that That's what I'm interested in today. I'm interested into the clarification of that and I'm interested in the clarification of what he knows and I'm interested in the clarification of of why he's still around because it's a much easier move to just go, he's one of the seven and he's done. There has to be a reason why that hasn't happened. And maybe it will today, gentlemen. I don't know. Like the other thing that struck me this morning when I was preparing for my show and thinking about this is maybe he is going to come forward and say, you know what, I'm taking the rest of the year's leave of absence or I am resigning. I I don't know what he's going to say. And I think that that's another reason why he needs to speak and clarify whatever direction they're going to go with. But I think it would be much easier for the league, for the team to just move on from him. There has to be a reason why they're not. Well, you know, and I agree with you. It would be much easier for True North and the entire Winnipeg Jets and Gary Bettman sort of gone the same way as he'd done with uh, Joel Quenville in particular and uh, had and negotiated Kevin Cheveldayoff to walk away and to resign his position as general manager of the Winnipeg Jets. But Gary Bettman's a lawyer. He's a very good lawyer. And the fact that he didn't lump Kevin Cheveldayov in with the rest of that executive team really, um, I don't know, speaks volumes perhaps as to what, you know, genuinely happened and, and Bettman's perception of that. But I am well, disappointed. The thing I want to just mention quickly, sure, guys, sure. is I've watched that Kyle Beach thing several times, and it's got wretched every time. But when Rick West had asked him specifically about Joel Quinville and Kevin Cheveldayoff, he spoke only about Quinville. 
He never mentioned Cheval Dayoff. I've, I've, I've paid attention to Kyle Beach because I'm wondering, why aren't you mentioning Cheval Dayoff when you talk about the meetings you knew about and who was around and all that? I've watched some other news outlets that he's done stuff on, and I, I haven't heard his name yet. So, I, I like, I mean, he's the guy I care about the most. I think yep. we all do is Kyle Beach. And I think, you know, he's been so, so diplomatic and honest about this that these are the people that I knew that didn't do anything. And, and I haven't heard that name yet, and I'm wondering why. And that's the other thing I want clarification on today. Yeah, I want to hear some humanity. I want to hear some empathy. Exactly. I want to hear something that we've yet to hear from Kevin Cheveldayoff, and that is just some personal feelings about this entire situation and how we move forward. Jim, we're, we're way out of time here, but look forward to your take on this and, uh, and look forward to the, the premiere of your show from 1 till 3 today. Enjoy the rest of the day, guys. Jim Toth joining us live on 680 CJOB. Jets at noon now, full hour with Cameron Poitras and Jim Toth. And then the Jim Toth show is on from 1 until 3. And he will have two tickets to give away for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers versus the Montreal Alouettes on Saturday. St. Francis Xavier, thank you, Vince. That's where the white horse is. We have two minutes. We are looking for our first qualifier for a cool prize we're giving away on Friday. Greg, what is that prize? You can qualify to win two tickets to Habitat for Humanity's Hammer and Ales fundraiser at the King's Head Pub on November 25th. We'll give the prize away on Friday, but in the meantime, we need to find our first Qualifier, if you can answer this question professionally crafted by Brett McGarry. <laughs> well, I just stole it. Uh, but hey, this Halloween candy was originally called chicken feed. What is it? Liz, this Halloween candy was originally called chicken feed. What is it? Looks oh, like she hung Liz. up. She gave up. Ty, do you know what it is? Candy corn. There it is. GMAC predicted it. First crack at it, <laughs> which actually works considering how little time we have here. <laughs> Ty, do you like candy corn? When I was a kid, yes. You did? Okay. Mackling, what about you? Yeah, you know what? I confess to actually liking it. It's the one that looks like teeth, right? And sort of the yellow and the orange and the white. Is that right, Ty? Are we thinking of the same candy? That is exactly right. Okay. Popcorn kernel. There it is. Yeah, I actually did like it. Okay. It, it lasted longest. Uh, well, second longest. Then it was a like crap candy with the <laughs> Halloween uh, icons, the witches and the bats oh. and stuff. The molasses plop in the wax paper oh, wrapper. It was the worst. The, well, I, I don't know that I've ever had candy corn. So, But Ty, congratulations. You're our first qualifier for Hammer and Ales at the King's Head Pub. <laughs> Served with candy corn. There we go. <laughs> okay. I'm going to put you on hold. Forte is going to get your details, okay? Yeah, sounds good, bud. Okay, stand by. And see, Hammer and Ales. You, you get it there, Greg? It's... Instead of hammer and nails. Oh, gosh. It's hammer and ales. I would have got it by Thursday for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you just kept hammering me with it. I would have finally come around to the, oh, I get the pun there. Loren's not here to point it out to me, so... <laughs> Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is away this week, coming up after Global News at 8.30. It's Monday. What does that mean, GMAC? 
Monday means our weekly visit with Bob Irving. Of course, tonight from 7 till 8 is the Coaches Show. Bob and Mike O'Shea, your questions, your texts, your queries about how the Winnipeg Blue Bombers will approach Saturday night's game against the Montreal Alouettes. Uh, Bob and the coach, 7 till 8. But we get a sneak peek, Brett. Bob Irving joins us just after 8.35. So this morning, many of us in southern Manitoba had something weird happen with their phones. I'm sitting at home this morning. It's 3.59 a.m. I'm putting on my shoes as I'm ordering my cab on my Unicity app. And uh, the cab order gets accepted. The map says my driver is a minute away. So I scurry downstairs. I get in the cab and I look at my phone and it says it's 3.02. And I'm thinking like, what? What is happening here? I genuinely didn't know if I was going to work early. I thought, what? I don't know what's going on here. But, Were you uh, wondering what day of the week it was? Yeah, I was kind of perplexed for a moment. And uh, I mentioned it to Greg when I got here. I thought maybe it was just a glitch of my phone. I thought maybe my phone was showing signs that it's time to get a new one. I don't know. And then a bunch of listeners started texting us saying, hey, why did my phone change? The time change isn't until the weekend, right? And we learned that like dozens of people were texting us saying that they were having problems with their phones. But based on your text messages, we sort of put it together that it appeared to be a bell issue. And sure enough, because we were having people saying that they were on TELUS and they were fine. Uh, you, Greg, I think you're on Rogers or whatever. And I'm you, on Rogers. It, no problems whatsoever. So bell support at bell underscore support. They tweeted this morning. Some clients may have experienced an incorrect time change on their phone this morning. Our teams are investigating the situation in order to resolve the issue as quickly as possible. We apologize for the inconvenience. We did have a few listeners say right around seven o'clock that it switched back. So whatever, so the, in other words, you didn't have to go in and do it yourself. Bell appeared to do it. Now, not it didn't affect everybody on Bell. Like Pete says, we're with Bell and our phones didn't change. Yeah. And then what about Dave saying on Rogers, mine changed early Saturday morning, which would make more sense, of course, because that's when the clocks do change overnight from Saturday night into Sunday morning yep. at 2.37 or whenever the official time is in the middle of the night. Maybe it's maybe we just learned what it is, 3.02, <laughs> but it's not until next Saturday night, Sunday morning. So there must have been a glitch. We also had a conversation, just you and I back and forth. Didn't they adjust when... Daylight saving time ended and standard time began. Like, didn't they shrink that time frame? And when we were kids, didn't that change take place before Halloween? And we seem to think that maybe it did. So once again, we're reaching out to you. What do you remember? 204-780-6868. Did the time change take place in October versus making sure? I remember when they made that alteration a few years ago, it was like, yeah, we're going to make sure that that time change does not take place until after Halloween. Looks like it used to be the, the last Sunday of October. So which meant, which would have meant that yesterday would have been normally been the day historically. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if this affected you, if it affected your ability to make it to work on time, because I think that for, for us, it didn't matter. We were, it hap thankfully it happened when I was already awake because had it happened while I was still sleeping, I might've been late for work today. So I know that uh, a lot of people 
could be affected by this. So let us know at 204-780-6868. Also, our question of the day this morning at cjob.com has to do with Halloween. It's brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. If you give out candy for Halloween, how was last night's number of trick-or-treaters compared to past years and so far at cjob.com it's a close race we got 43 percent who say more than usual 35 percent say fewer than usual 22 percent say about the same and we're getting lots of like a wide range of uh, feedback on this greg yeah only 18 uh, at this listener's house down from 40 uh, last or down from, pardon me, from last year's 40. And Curtis said we had 90 kids for Halloween last night. First ones came at 358 <laughs> in the afternoon. They got an early start. No kidding. I'd like to check in with those kids and see uh, how much uh, how much stuff they got. Yeah. Like they must have cleaned up. How many tours of the block could you do from, say, 358 till even till 8 o'clock? I, I, I like the dedication there. Yeah, no kidding. That's an aggressive plan and good for those kids for getting out there so <laughs> early. Uh, Debbie saying five years in a row, zero trick-or-treaters. Huh. You know what I had zero of last night, Brett? Zero Halloween apples at the door. No. That chant did not take place once. It was a lot of knocking. A couple times I had to say, uh, what's the magic words? Please? No, 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 no. No, no. Like, what are you supposed to chant? <laughs> trick or treat. Yeah, that's the one. That's yeah. the one. So, But I didn't get any Halloween apples, something that... Uh, our generation has held very close to uh, our heart for a long, long time. And we think it's a regionalism, something that's sort of exclusive maybe to Manitoba and, dare I say, Saskatchewan. But, yeah, no Halloween apples last night, Brett. And listen to this story on dating because we're asking you about dating blunders, embarrassing things that happened to you while you were on a date because I was on a date on Saturday and... I dumped my drink all over everything. It just, it was a spectacular mess, and I was so embarrassed for being so clumsy. But uh, Don says, on a date one evening, a first date, no less, I dropped one of the super groaner puns I'm known for. Don sends us puns every day uh, because he knows Loren likes them so much. And, and he, he, Don says, she gave me a crooked look, to which I said, okay, sorry, I'll leave now, and opened the door in the car as if to leave while I promptly and accidentally fell out of the car while it was moving <laughs> at 20 miles per hour. Oh, no. So I left her sitting stunned in the passenger seat. Eventually, she got the car under control and uh, came back. And, of course, she had to ask the question, are you okay? Well, being the wise guy I am, I replied, yeah, yeah, never better. No broken bones, no trip to the hospital, but a series of dates that actually lasted a few months. So good for you, Don. Hey, you parlayed that into a little uh, couple sympathy uh, dates. <laughs> Possibly. It is our weekly visit with the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Bob Irving. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, you guys. How are you? We're doing well. Did you get out for your morning walk? Did you have to put those uh, spiky things on the bottom of your shoes today? Or? No, I went out for my walk a little while ago. There's no uh, ice out there yet. And boy, the forecast for the week is sensational. The Bomber game Saturday night, it looks like it's going to be 8 or 9 degrees and sunny on Saturday. So the, the weather continues to do us favors, I would suggest. Not too shabby at all. We can uh, chit-chat a little bit more about the Bombers and what their schedule looks like this week in a moment, Bob. But Today we will hear from Jets General Manager Kevin Shoveldayoff. No more written statements 
in the aftermath of last week's meeting with NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman. Let's start with this. Were you surprised that Shovel Dayoff didn't resign and that Gary Bettman decided that his actions didn't wor- warrant rather any further discipline at the league level like we saw with the other, other members of that Chicago Blackhawks executive team? Well, I can't say that I was surprised. I didn't know how this was going to play out. And, uh, you know, I think Kevin Sheveldayoff had a story to tell on his side of the situation, which he did to Gary Bettman. And uh, he obviously provided some rather convincing information for Bettman to so quickly exonerate him. So uh, I can't say, Greg, that I was surprised. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that let Kyle Beach down. He was failed by Chicago players who were obviously quite aware that something was going on. The NHL Players Association was informed and did nothing, and they're going to have a meeting of all the players today. So this is not over yet. And like everybody else, I guess I'm curious, anxious to see and hear what Kevin Sheveldayoff is going to say today. You know, I think uh, people want more clarity on what happened and hopefully he will provide that today so what would you like to hear then from shovel day off or from governor mark chipman well there's nothing in particular brett that i want to hear except uh, more details about you know if in fact uh, he was not involved at all and he certainly was to a degree uh, I, I would just like to hear him clear things up a little bit more you know I suppose it's possible that he could have honestly believed his superiors were dealing with this matter. And even though Aldrich was still around, he could have reasonably assumed that the matter had been looked into and dealt with. You know, I'm not trying to defend him, uh, but again, Gary Bettman must have heard something very convincing. And and I think, you know, Kevin Sheveldayoff needs to say something that's convincing to the skeptics here that, uh, you know, would cut him some slack. So again, uh, I'm curious, you know, I think there are many, many thousands of years will be on him today, more than ever before, involving any draft pick he made or trade he made or anything else. So uh, this is, in many ways, it's a it's a key day for Kevin Chivaldayoff and his tenure here in Winnipeg. Yeah, not that anybody's asked me, but I would like to hear some, you know, some humanity from Kevin Chivaldayoff, some, some remorse, some some empathy for Kyle Beach and uh, maybe just uh, some language that, you know, would indicate, you know, if I had to do it all over again, I would do things different. Something something that humanizes Shovel Day off because really, Bob, to this point, all we've had on this situation was a written statement back in July and then, you know, a written statement in the aftermath of that meeting in New York. And, and I think some humanity from Shovel Day off would go a long way today. Yeah, I think it would too, but uh, we do have to keep in mind that he's probably being advised by lawyers, and I know that won't satisfy people, and that's just the world we live in. There are some legal things here that uh, kind of a legal minefield that uh, they have to walk around, but it would be kind of nice if he just shoved all of that aside and and spoke from the heart, and, and I think that would satisfy most people here if he said things that were meaningful and caring and all the rest of it, and I I believe that Kevin Sheveldayoff is that kind of person, uh, whether we hear that today or not. Again, uh, let's wait and see. We're all anxious to, to hear what he has to say. Coach's show tonight, Blue Bombers, Alouettes, Saturday night at IG Field. What do you expect the Blue Bombers' starting lineup will look like this weekend? 
Well, I think it'll look the same as as it always has, Brett. I, I think they're going to make some changes in terms of uh, spotting people and resting people and all the rest of it. But I think this game, it's a home game, right? Uh, you know, I, I think the Bombers will go out and play the way they've played all season long, or at least attempt to play, and I don't think you'll see a lot of players rested. That certainly will be one of the things I'll discuss with Michael Shea tonight on the coaches' show. I think if there are going to be players rested, and there are, and Sean McGuire, the number two quarterback, is going to get a chance to play, and I believe he will. I don't think it'll be on Saturday. There's two games after that, one in Montreal, one in Calgary, and I think uh, you know, you'll know you see you'll see some movement of players, but uh, nothing overly dramatic, although uh, you know some of the key guys will get rested. And again, we'll talk about that with Mike O'Shea tonight. I'm, you know, and this will be a week-to-week thing with him, too. You know, if, if guys, some guys get nicked up Saturday against Montreal and probably could play the following week, well, he'll likely sit them down. So it, it's uncharted territory, as I've said before, for O'Shea, and it's uh, a situation that he's going to have to kind of be very careful in dealing with, and we'll see how it plays out. But first and foremost, I know they want to win their last home game Saturday against the Montreal Alouettes, who are fighting for a playoff spot right now. It looks like they're going to make it, but they'd like to finish second and get a you know a home game. And they've still got a shot at first, so the Owls are going to come in here revved up, and they'll probably start Trevor Harris at quarterback. And his last experience against that Bomber defense was a miserable one when he was with Edmonton. So there's lots of... Uh, subplots surrounding this game on Saturday. Yeah, if anybody was watching the the Alouettes uh, game on, I guess it was, uh, was it Friday or Saturday? I can't remember now, Bob. It was Saturday, yeah. It was Saturday night, some curious decision-making by former Blue Bomber quarterback, now head coach of the Alouettes in terms of managing the clock as the as the Owls did uh, get within two points of Saskatchewan. They they chose to try a, a short kickoff, which is which is super uncommon to, to complete, and then inevitably they, they held Saskatchewan to a two and out and and maybe things could have been a lot differently if they'd employed a little bit different strategy on Saturday Bob yeah I tweeted that uh, with a minute and a half left they attempted an onside kick which rarely ever succeeds they would have been better off to kick it deep and hope their defense would hold because teams get very conservative when they're ahead on offense and chances are they would have held and that's all hindsight of course and it's funny after the game Gary Jones admitted as much that if he had it to do over again he probably would not have tried the onside kick so yeah they're they're an interesting team the Alouettes they've got uh, lots of talent their quarterback situation is certainly in upheaval now but uh, they're a team that has a chance to win the east and Kahari Jones and his group will be coming in here Monday to face a test that they haven't faced all year, and uh, we'll see if uh, they can deal with this bomber juggernaut here, especially the way the bombers play at home. This is a tough, tough place to play. Hey, how much of the World Series have you been watching, Bob? Well, quite a bit, off and on. Uh, I watched the start of the game last night, and Atlanta got a grand slam homer in the first inning, and I'm thinking, well, that's probably it. And then I'm going back and forth between that and handing out Halloween candy and watching the Vikings (laughs) in Dallas. And lo and behold, Houston comes back and wins by a score of 9-5. to Here's one of the – I'm a baseball fan. I've always been a baseball fan. But the games, they go so long sometimes. Now, that game was close to four hours last night. And it's tough to stay engaged. And, you know, baseball has a certain beauty, but it's more beautiful when the games last three hours as opposed to four. So uh, 
I'm interested, but I'm not as glued to the World Series as I used to be a few years ago, and I think uh, there's lots of people like that. Bob Irving, coach your show tonight at 7 o'clock with Mike O'Shea. Thank you very much for joining us, sir. Okay, guys. It is 847 on 680 CJOB with Mackling and McGarry. GMAC, I, I don't know how much of the, the World Series you've been watching. None. Okay, <laughs> and, and that's I haven't either, and so someone else can let me know. It sounds like they're still doing the chop. They are doing the tomahawk chop. Uh, Something that started, I think, in 91, 92. Um, Yeah, time for that to go away, I think. No kidding. Like, good Lord. It It was stupid back then. Never mind in 2021, 30 years later. Um but I guess we won't have to hear that for the rest of the season now because it goes back to, to Planet Houston. We have some information this hour about something we told you about just around 15 minutes ago, Greg. Yeah, the Winnipeg Jets have confirmed that their scheduled media conference with President, Chairman, Part Owner Mark Chipman and General Manager Kevin Shiveldayoff has been postponed. It will be pushed back until tomorrow. Uh, the Jets confirmed with Kelly Moore that... That uh, Chairman Mark Chipman is, in fact, uh, undergoing a, a serious bout, uh, dealing with a bout of... Of uh, vertigo, as reported by Darren Drager of uh, on on Twitter. So we wanted to share that with you that the Winnipeg Jets are confirming that pushback, that change of plans uh, from today until tomorrow with regard to that Kevin Shoveldayoff of media conference. So joining us now is Scott Billick, who is reporter extraordinaire with the Winnipeg Sun. He covers the Winnipeg Jets. Joins Kelly Moore as part of our stable of outstanding contributors in our pregame coverage of the Jets. But Scott has also been relentless on the COVID-19 situation in Manitoba. A genuinely trusted source for stats and the situation overall. And above all that, he is an advocate for mental health and wellness. We say good morning to you, Scott. Morning. How are you guys doing? We're doing great, man. Thanks a lot for joining us this morning. And we wanted to talk to you about uh, your from your newsletter entitled A Week on introspection, a week of introspection. Now, it's easy to sit here and say that uh, we do something different, uh, the right thing, as it were. Uh, but, you know, as far as a week of in- on introspection goes for you, I guess what's the first thing that would come to mind if you were to sort of sum up what you wrote here? Yeah, I, 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 it's interesting. It, it, it was a heavy week, I think. It was a long week in the NHL. And, you know, it, it was a week of... I, I guess just trying to, you know, sort out how we got to, you know, what happened last week or the, the I mean, what happened 11 years ago, obviously, what came out this week uh, in terms of the black or last week in terms of the Blackhawks scandal and, and kind of how we have to kind of move forward with it. And, you know, it, you know, since reading the report that came out last Tuesday, listening to Kyle Beach, who was John Doe, uh, the man that, that was allegedly sexually assaulted by, by Brad Aldridge, a video coach with the Chicago Blackhawks during the 2010 uh, Stanley Cup run. And then just kind of just, you know, just thinking overall about uh, the state of hockey, hockey culture, all those types of things. I think a lot of it was, you know, just trying to understand Trying to balance, you know, uh, I I suppose bringing the pitchforks out, trying to figure out what needs to be done, what would be best done by by Kyle Beach, what would serve him, what would serve the victims of sexual abuse, especially in hockey, because 
you know, that's kind of where my focus is right now, back as Jets beat reporter and, and just trying to figure out how, you know, you how we move forward because, you know, it's such an awful, tragic incident. It, it ruined a career, a former first-round pick. And I, I just wonder sometimes if we have to sit back, listen, and try and figure out, learn as much as we can from anybody involved. And hopefully that everybody involved would, would speak because I, I just think that the more people that talk about why these things happened and, and, and if they can do that honestly, because, you know, it's been 11 years, we can't change what happened, but we can change perhaps what happens going forward. And I think, you know, that's where the onus lies on a lot of these people, especially, you know, even the 37 folks who are 30, yeah, it was 37, 39, who didn't even talk in a report. I mean, you would hope that those people could come forward and, and, and speak about it because we all need to learn. I think that's part of the, the issue here is there's just not enough learning going on. We, we were all shocked. We're all upset, saddened, whatever it is. Um, I, I think, you know, for me, sitting back, it's like, how do we do better? How do we, in our own lives, figure out a way to, um, you know, you know, stop this? How do we have the courage to stand up and, and not be a bystander if we ever to see something like that? And it's not just with sexual abuse, but just kind of anything in life where you see something that's, you know, if somebody's been wronged or whatever it is, how do we not just sit there and maybe turn the other way? How do we kind of, um, you know, you know, take, be, be a leader and that, that sort of thing and stuff that was, you know, missing more than a decade ago for, for Cal Beach. Well, you know, I, I've always had the, the opinion, Scott, that a tragedy is magnified if we don't learn uh, as a result of it taking right. place. And I, I don't always like to read back the words of, of our guests, but this uh, just really set the table so nicely. So bear with me as I read uh, from the newsletter that I am a subscriber to. And so I'll take the opportunity to thank you for all your work. I mean, as if you don't have enough to do uh, day in, day out, week in, week out you've really been been reaching out to manitobans on this myself included uh, with regard to our mental wellness and our ability to handle all that's been going on over the last 20 months so thanks for that scott but i'm going to read this it's easy to sit here and say we do something different the right thing as it were if put in a similar circumstance but how many times have we been in situations we look back on and wish we did something different The week that was in hockey has been a black eye for the game I grew up loving and the game I now get paid to report on. It's been a week of heartbreak, anger, sadness, and unrest. It's also been one, at least personally, of introspection. And that's how we get to this. Do we need to hear some, and I've been asking, Brett and I have been asking this morning uh, of our guests, uh, Jim Toth. We asked Bob Irving. Now we'll ask you, like, what were you hoping to hear from Kevin Chevelday off today? and, And hopefully what we'll hear tomorrow in terms of contrition, in terms of acknowledging uh, some humanity in this entire thing, because I think we would agree that up until this point, all we've had is is lawyered, uh, lawyer vettered, uh, printed statements from from the general manager of the Jets on this issue. Yeah, and and I think for me, I part of what I want to hear from him, outside of you know the who, what, where, and and why. Uh, you know, just to get more context, more information on the situation, honesty. And, and I understand that lawyers play a part in this, and I, I get that. But uh, like I said, you know, kind of in, in my first answer, I, I like I think this situation deserves and is owed honesty here, regardless of the lawyer speak, regardless of all that. Because I think people, 
you know, part of it and part of the way that I ended the newsletter is like, you know, how does somebody in the situation that Kevin shoveled out and well, let's just talk about senior management or, or whatever you want to call that in a, in a business. It doesn't have to be a hockey team, just anybody, the, the low man on the rung. How do, how does that person have the ability? How do, how do businesses kind of empower those people to stand up for whatever it is? It doesn't have to be just sexual abuse, racism in the workplace and anything, sexual harassment, uh, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, so I think, you know, if, 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 if Kevin Shoveldayoff can, can speak to why perhaps he didn't say anything or why he, uh, you know, if, if his if statement is, you know, uh, why did, you know, if I, if I sat there and I thought somebody else was going to do it, well, okay, but when we didn't see anything happen from it, why didn't I step up then? You know, what, what has he learned from the situation and what would he do differently the next time? And has he empowered the people that are in his position right now in the position that he was on the Blackhawks? Um, you know, are those people now feeling empowered to do something uh, about, you know, if, if a situation like that was to arise up in, in his own organization um, that he now leads? So, you know, I, I, like, I like to get, and, I, and honestly, I, 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 there needs to be an apology here to, to Kyle Beach because that's one of the things I think that hasn't, really been a mainstay from the people that have spoken about this. And I, I maybe that's a lawyered up thing too. I don't know. Like, if, 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 do you apologize? Does that mean you're complicit? Are you taking ownership then for it? I don't know. But like, you know, we're 11 years on here. And I think the one thing that Kyle Beach said in a lot of his stuff is like, nobody stood up for me. So where's the apology? I mean, the one of the most heartbreaking things about watching that interview with Kyle Beach was watching him apologize Brad Aldridge's next victim, like it was his somehow his fault for not, you know, standing up, and and I, I think that's just so backwards. So, yeah, I, I just you know tomorrow, assuming that you know Mark Chipman is, is healthy tomorrow, and 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 this happens, I just hope that the blanks are filled in because you know we can sit here and say oh, I don't want to talk about it anymore, I don't want to you know I, I mean whatever that might be. I, I think that. You know, we need to learn as much as we can from a situation like this. If we're going to move forward and have the confidence that the next time something like this happens, because we're not saying that this just is going to go away after this incident, but the next time this happens, that there are people in a room of those seven men that there were that night in 2010 that have the ability to stand up and, and say something and, and fight for the victim instead of you know, kind of hiding behind whatever it might have been at the time. Scott Billick, Winnipeg Sun, we have to leave it there. Thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate this, sir. Yeah, anytime, guys. Appreciate it. Mackling and McGarry McNabb's off this week. Bomber tickets up for grabs versus Montreal this Saturday. IG Field, we're asking you this morning, tell us something embarrassing that happened to you on a date. And Liz... Her date didn't go exactly as she had hoped, Greg? No, it did not. On our first date was a night I'll never forget. When I was getting dropped off, I thought, OMG, he's going to lean over for a kiss. Wrong! He patted the top of my head like a good puppy dog. I looked at him shocked. It's a good thing he was cute because... 47 years later, we're still <laughs> together. That's cute, Liz. But uh, James is our winner. James says, I was on a second date. 
Went to Boston Pizza, had a very nice time. As we walked to my car afterwards, I got this terrible cramp on my hamstring. So I let her in the car, and then before I got in, I tried to stretch out the cramp. Well, as I'm doing so, I accidentally let out some gas. Uh-oh. Since she was in the car, I figured, ah, oh, no harm done. Anyway, we carried on, had a nice rest of our evening. A few months later, a few months, we were talking, and she informs me that she had heard me when I farted. I was so embarrassed, but I guess it wasn't that big a deal to her since she later agreed to marry me, and we've been together for over 20 years. <laughs> Way to go, James. <laughs> what would Johnny Carson say? El stinko. <laughs> James, you're going to the bomber game. Right now, we want to tell you about a new book. The name of the book is Disorientation, Being Black in the World. It's written by our next guest, Ian Williams, who in 2019 won the Giller Prize for Reproduction. And tomorrow night, he'll be part of a virtual evening with Ian Williams, co-presented by the Winnipeg International Writers Festival. Ian joins us now. Good morning, Ian. Hey, good morning, Brett and Craig. Thanks for doing this with us. We appreciate it, and, and congratulations. Uh, I know it's two uh-huh. years afterwards, but, I mean, this is a, an honor for us uh, to be in your presence, at least virtually. And Oh, well, thank you. I love radio, right? You're like our best friends when we're driving. <laughs> Very kind of you to say. We hope uh, more people see it the way you do. Hey, part of the description uh, about this book, comprised of essays, it reads this, uh, Ian wants to reach a multiracial audience of people who believe that civil conversation on even the most charged subject is possible. Right. Is that kind right. of civil conversation possible? Uh, you know, even in this magnified, uh, you know, world that we're in right now, the division that, that so many of us uh, feel exists. It's so right. I mean, where is that civil conversation possible? Is it possible on Twitter where you don't have enough space to, like, develop context and be clear about what you intend? Uh, maybe not so much, right? Um, but I think at dinner tables and conversations, uh, you know, in the workplace, uh, it's absolutely possible because I still believe people, people are, I want to say, inherently good, right? And they want the best thing for themselves and their world. Um, and they're also afraid, right, to talk about race and to talk about certain things with uh, gender and sexuality, really charged subjects. Um, but uh, I think if we create the conditions, we will have those conversations. We can move forward as a society. That's what I'm hoping to do. So what moved you then to write this book? So it was last summer, right? There were the justice protests happening in the U.S. that spread throughout the world. Um, I was living in Vancouver at the time. We had climate change wildfires going on out there. And, of course, the pandemic was taking root. Um, And so it really seemed like the world was coming to an end. And I was like, Ian, if there's one more book that you have to write in your lifetime, right, um, what is the thing that you haven't really talked about? Um, And so I put aside the novel that I was working on, and I turned to this project instead Um, Because there were things I was carrying for 42 years of life regarding race and being in this body that I just wanted to share. I have to ask you about this. In your Mm -hmm. first essay, Ian, in this book, Mm -hmm. it's entitled Mm -hmm. More Than Half of Americans Can't Swim. (laughs) You you talk about not being a political person. You turn away from CNN maps on election night. Are you ever given a hard time for that? And explain the title of that essay. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So the title is about uh, most Americans can't swim. And I think a lot of us can't swim in conversations around race. Right. 
And I talk about my resolution was to learn how to swim this year and last year and many previous years. And it is next year as well. Um, but I have so many reasons why I don't want to swim, right? So many fears that always, um, like, prevent me from learning. And so I think it's the same thing with talking about race, right? We have all these scripts that prevent us from really engaging in the subject. And I want us to sort of uh, admit those and then move beyond them. Um, so, yeah, I don't consider myself a political person generally. And um, I get some flack for that because I think as a black person, there are two things you can be. Um, you can be a very quiet and like docile and, you know, accepting and just you bear all of the indignities that come your way quietly. Right. And the other kind of black person you can be is the sort of loud activist kind of black person um, perpetually sort of uh, rattling his fist at the air um, and stuff. And I'm really, you know, neither of those two things. Um, and I think a lot of black people don't quite fall into those categories, but those seem to be the options that are presented to us. Um, and I'm saying that you don't have to be um, a really kind of militant uh, protester, marching in the streets protester, in order to do race work, right? You have to do it within your own personality and your own temperament. And you also point in that essay to an Instagram post that read, oh. why the refusal to post online is often inherently racist. So uh, what's your take on that post? Right. So you see this kind of stuff happening uh, on Twitter and Instagram, right? These kinds of directives that you do this or else you are that, right? If you don't do this, that means you are racist. Um, and I'm saying, no, we've got to reintroduce nuance into this. There are many reasons why somebody won't retweet or repost something um, like that, right? There are many reasons, not because they're racist alone, um, and so let's not try to, like, make this black and white, no pun intended, right? Let's not try to categorize um, people's behavior either into either for or against. There's a whole sort of gray space in the middle um, and a various stages of people um, at different places in this conversation, right? Different places in their development. And we need to be more, like, compassionate, tolerant, forgiving, um, and open, I think, generally to wherever people are. So how do we take these awkward situations, the, the, this awkward knowledge? I've shared this story on the air in the past, Ian, and it was the, the first time I was in the, in the deep south of the United States on a personal journey. I was, I, was, uh, I was still in my late teens. I wasn't even 20 yet. Grew up in a very racially diverse high school. And uh, my friend's mom admitted to me that, uh, that, you know, that, that, they, were, that they were racist to a certain extent, and qualified it with this notion that, well, it's just how we, we know it's wrong, but it's how we were raised. How do, how, do we, how do we get past this? Because it feels as though, you know, we talk about systematic racism. That goes beyond systematic in my mind. Right, right, right. I mean, and as intolerable as it seems, I think the first step is understanding where people are coming from, right? So it sounds to me like that's a mark of her, like, identity or... Yeah, some kind of family bonding or whatever it is. And so um, to kind of understand, first of all, okay, what experiences did you have with this? And why do you need to hold on to this? Like, what's the stake in your identity? Um, but also, what are you doing now, right? What are your social circles, right? Who are you talking to? How is your world expanding? And I would say something like, hey, have you ever traveled to Boston, <laughs> right? Like traveled up north, you know, have you ever been the only white person in a situation what was that like right and so to get them starting to think about themselves moving out of those spaces 
uh, I, I think it's important. But, you know, on one hand, like, who wants to do that work, right? It's so much easier to dismiss and move on. Um, but I think it's much more rewarding to actually engage and sort of grit your teeth and, and get into those those deep, deeper kinds of conversations. How'd you respond to it? What'd you do? You know, I just I just relayed my experience that that wasn't my, mm-hmm. you know, uh, my experience. My stepfather's biracial. Uh, mm-hmm. I was a minority in my high school and we just didn't really right. look th- at things through right. that lens. And um, right. so hopefully that had a little bit of an impact. I know that it sort of quelled and yeah. changed the conversation, the tone of conversation right. for the next four days. And, and, and hopefully it was enough right. to have a little bit of an impact, Ian. And that's it. Like, isn't that enough, right? We don't, our job is not to convert people to our point of view or our perspective. It's just to have these little wedges, right? Just these little kind of interruptions in people's days and the way they think to kind of make them just think differently and more open. You did enough. That's it. She'll meet someone else a bit later in her life and she'll expand some more. That's as much as we can hope for. Ian Williams is the author of Disorientation, Being Black in the World, a virtual evening with Ian Williams begins tomorrow at 7 o'clock. It is co-presented by the Winnipeg International Writers Festival. You can get all the information on how to register at McNallyRobinson.com. Ian, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, this has been great. Have a great day, guys. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.